Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, and welcome to the Ghibliotech the podcast that flies through the festival of films from the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm muddying my boots for the first time. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. So, hello from the Latitude Festival. Yeah, hello. Uh, this is pretty exciting. We have, uh, for the first time, taken Ghibliotech on the road to a music festival. Actually, your very first music festival, Michael. I had to buy wellies and everything. Yeah, yeah. it took Studio Ghibli to convince you to come to one. Uh, well, actually not, because we've broken our own rules. And you said in your intro, in fact, you've said on every intro, yes. that this is the podcast about the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. And that is not what we're talking about today. No, we're talking about Studio Ponok. Actually, we should probably say up front, Ponok is how the Japanese pronounce the word. It's a Croatian word that is pronounced Ponots, which means midnight. We'll get to that. Just in case we get any angry tweets five minutes into the episode that we're mispronouncing things. But yes, this is the first episode from the first film from Studio Ponok. But the reason why we're covering this is because their DNA is so crossed over with Ghibli. 90% of the people who worked in this film, all of the heads of departments and the lead animators and director and so on, came from Studio Ghibli during that hiatus that they went into in the, a few years ago. So really we had to come up on this film eventually. Well, um, let's get a quick synopsis out of the window for those that haven't seen the film, and then we will delve right into the history behind it, because I'm really curious to hear a lot more about how this film ended up being made. Mary is an ordinary girl stuck in the country with her great aunt Charlotte and with seemingly no adventures or friends in sight. She follows a mysterious cat into the nearby forest where she discovers an old broomstick and the strange fly-by-night flower, a rare plant that blooms only once every seven years and only in that forest. Together, the flower and the broomstick whisk Mary above the clouds and far away to Endor College, a school of magic run by headmistress Madame Mumblechuck and the brilliant Dr. D. But there are terrible things happening at the school, and when Mary tells a lie, she must risk her life to try and set things right. Right, so delving into the history of this one, Michael. Normally in this section, I've got some lead to start with, like 
oh, they're just off of the back of Spirited Away, or this is the next Miyazaki film, or this is a brand new director for Studio Ghibli. Mm -hmm. It's not often that I can get to say, this is an entirely brand new studio. Exactly. So how did this film come about? Well, one name you should be familiar with, Jake, is Hiramasa Yonabayashi. We've talked about two of his films so far. He made two films as director at Studio Ghibli. Most recently, we spoke about When Marnie Was There. His debut film before that was Arietti. Um, he was, you may remember from the When Marnie Was There episode, almost as soon as that film came out, Studio Ghibli announced they were going on a hiatus. They were closing down production. And yes, the ultimate sign of faith from them. Yes, your, exactly. your film has come out, so we're shutting the studio. <laughs> but the producer of that film, Yoshiaki Nishimura, who we talked about as being one of the bright lights, the bright youthful lights of the next generation of Ghibli, he decides to set up his own studio to fill that vacuum, to... Um, create films inspired by the spirit of his mentors, Isao Takahata and Heo Miyazaki, who created their films at Studio Ghibli. I interviewed Nishimura a few years ago about setting up Studio Pornok, and he said, just, how, just like how Studio Ghibli had been creating and producing work that could be enjoyed by small children and grown-up adults, we wanted to carry on bringing that significant, meaningful work into the world. That was our vision. So they, they start up shop and make some adverts and commercials to find their feet, but their first feature is going to be Mary and the Witch's Flower, and to direct it, Nishimura taps Hiramasa Yonibayashi, who he'd worked with at Ghibli, and they also bring over several key Ghibli veterans. So one of the reasons why this may look like a Studio Ghibli film is that, for example, one of the lead animators is a guy called Takeshi Inamura, who worked on... I think 13 Ghibli films dating all the way back to the early 90s. So this, these are the people who made those films, now making this film. Okay. And so we got the name Ghibli from this, the type of Italian wind that yeah. uh, Miyazaki was fascinated with. Where do we end up with Ponok? So Ponok means midnight in Croatian. So it's the dawning of a new day for animation. So they love their uh, meaningful studio titles, don't mm. they? But... This film is adapted from an English-language novel from the 1970s called The Little Broomstick by Mary Stewart. And um, it was released in 2017. And of course, there was considerable interest when it finally did come out because it's the first film from a Studio Ghibli-like studio. A lot of interest, a lot of excitement. It performed pretty well in Japan for a brand new studio. They make 3.29 billion yen and they finish sixth at the Japanese box office, not overall with American films, but in terms of Japanese films at the Japanese box office, Sixth is pretty good for a completely fresh start. Um, it doesn't gross as much as when Marnie was there. It does gross more than The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, which was the Isao Takahata film that was released around the same time as, uh, as Marnie. But quite a promising opening. But the important thing was both... Hiramasa Yonabayashi, the director, and Yoshiaki Nishimura, the producer, wanted to show this film to their mentors, Miyazaki, Toshio Suzuki, and Isao Takahata at Ghibli. And there's a, there's a story they both tell about going to Ghibli to show this film to their mentors. And Toshio Suzuki apparently says, you worked hard, you were released from the spell of Studio Ghibli, and you made a work like this. It's a good film made honestly and at ease. Isao Takahata said, it's a film that I like, and then with a hint of sarcasm, but maybe because it's a film that I like, I wonder if the success of the film could be in danger. Because <laughs> things he likes maybe don't do I mean, well. He does make weird films that make no money. Exactly. But of course, the big man, 
Hayao Miyazaki. The old grumpy man. The old grumpy man himself. We've talked before about how when Yonebayashi was making his films, he would be routinely bullied and hazed by Miyazaki, saying, oh, we shouldn't let him out and do public interviews. Oh, why are you wearing those flowery shirts to work? And so on. Well, they attempt to show it to Miyazaki and he refuses to watch it. But he says, good job. Wow. <laughs> well done for making a film. I'm not going to watch it. But Jake, did they do a good job? Well, I think, yeah, it's time to find out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, I think they did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your response to the film. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Jake, we usually start these review sections with these Ghibli films as you've been watching them one by one through the library. We talk about what's different, what's the same, what's familiar, familiar themes, threads, and so on. We have a whole new studio here. What's different? Not much, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, I want to start by talking about the logo of the film. It comes up, it says Studio Ponoc. You've got the lead character from the main film, in a profile shape looking in one direction and the name of the studio. And anyone that's seen a Studio Ghibli film will know that that template is pretty familiar. Uh, we see Totoro from My Neighbor Totoro looking sideways with yeah. a line drawing and the name of the studio. So you can see from that first image how much of the DNA of this film stems from Studio Ghibli uh, with that homage in their logo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, if you actually stripped away that Studio Ponoc logo, replaced it with a Studio Ghibli film, didn't give me any of this history lesson and just presented it to me, I probably wouldn't have questioned it being made by anyone else. It totally feels like a Studio Ghibli film to me. And having heard that context, you can understand why, because nearly everybody who works on this film came from Studio Ghibli and they wanted to make a film that was like the Ghibli films of old. Wanted yeah. to be a tribute to that. And that has given this film so many strengths, but I think its core weaknesses come from that as well. 
Interesting. And uh, you kind of, at times, want it to step out of its shadow, to flex its muscles a bit. Who are these directors without their mentors, without those guides? But then there's a familiarity to it that I can't help but feel love for. Well, it's something that I find really exciting and fascinating watching this film. It's something we said before this film screened here at Latitude, to keep a lookout for shots and character designs, sequences that may have been lifted or in tribute to uh, earlier Ghibli films. And we have so many of those. Even within the first 10, 15 minutes, you've had references to Castle in the Sky and particularly Kiki's Delivery Service, right? Yeah, I think those two are the two key texts that they've been watching over and over before mm -hmm. making this film. Obviously, there is the text itself, the book, and uh, I haven't read it, so I don't know how close this adaptation is, but stylistically, it's really looking at, for me anyway, the earlier Ghibli films. The opening five minutes of this just feels like a riff on Castle in the Sky, yeah. if I'm honest. But it's thrilling, it looks amazing, it's energetic, but you do have a young girl on the outside of a floating thing mm -hmm. in the sky, falling down into the woods with some magical glowing item following her. Yeah. And that's the opening of Castle in the Sky as well. And then it transitions into this wonderful sequence, which is very much like the opening of Kiki's Delivery Service. In fact, you can put frames from both films side by side and see a bored girl of a certain age looking out of her bedroom window, checking out her hair in the mirror, hanging out with her. In, well, in Kiki's case, it's a black cat. Mary has a dog in this, but then also the broomstick and flying. It's all the same as Kiki's livery service. It really is, and a lot of other stuff. Right, we've got this, a young girl going out into the world uh, at a pivotal time of change in her life. She doesn't quite know who she is, but maybe some fantastical elements in the world may teach her about independence. And looking at the work of Miyazaki from Kiki's through to Spirited Away and later stuff as well, we're going to see that time and time again. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it almost makes this uncanny feeling of feeling like we're watching a film made by someone else. It feels like we're reviewing a film that we've already seen. Did this, this seemed very familiar to you mm. then, on very familiar territory. I think once we get to Endor, this idyllic land in the sky, the, the, those aerial shots where you see the... The, the wildlife and the, the greenery. There's lots of blue and green. I know you love those colors. I mean, yeah. it's part of our logo back there. Um, there's a lot of that here. But once you actually get into the magical school, that's where it's less familiar ground. I yeah, think. and I think we've got um, some influence for, or maybe this text was read by J.K. Rowling ahead of Harry Potter. I think the first time that Mary enters Endor yeah. and we see kind of look up at the the magical school, it's got that same feeling of Harry walking into Diagon Alley or the Great Hall for the first time. And you really do get that sense of wonder. And that idea of magic being taught as something that a lot of people are engaged in and mm -hmm. learning is actually not something that we've seen in something like Kiki as well. Kiki is very much a matter-of-fact thing and we're, it's a very close story following her and we're not really given much of an expanded world. Mm -hmm. And it was quite nice to think about what would a Ghibli or Ponoc Hogwarts look like. Yeah. And it looks amazing. And that's really what this is. It's a little bit like 
Chihiro going into the bathhouse in Spirited Away, you have those sequences where she's walking through a great hall and lots of business and monsters and creatures are there in the background. But it is, I think this is probably the most, certainly the most British-influenced, mm. like, visually film of, of the sort of the wider, broader Ghibli canon. It just, the colour palettes make me think of, I don't know, Canterbury scene, psychedelic prog album covers. It's very yes, isn't it? but also that feeling that all of the characters, you have Dr. D, which is, of course, a reference to old magic of, uh, of, of the English tradition, and Zebedee and so on, these characters that we know more from psychedelic British pop culture, yeah. perhaps. Well, and you've got characters that are familiar, like Mary is so familiar for people that have watched Ghibli films, but you've got some people that are coming in that feel like maybe they've got their DNA from somewhere else. I really enjoyed the character of Flanagan, mm-hmm. who is this I don't know, uh, fox, very much kind of in the vein of the Disney Robin Hood, yeah. who is a bit of uh, kind of the, the broom master yeah. of the school. Um, and he's animated almost in a different way. Like, he's a bit slapstick. He doesn't feel like something we've seen before. And it was one of those... Uh, elements of the film that I pulled out and thought that's exciting like because that feels like maybe they're doing they're figuring themselves out a bit here's a character that Miyazaki wouldn't have introduced he's a bit silly he's a bit quirky um, and he's a bit of comic relief and he's probably closer to something like the cat returns maybe they're the most anthropomorphized characters we've seen but this is probably a good point to say that we showed this film in the english language version today usually we're purists and we only watch it with japanese you know in japanese with subtitles but i actually think the english language dub for this is fantastic does anyone else, so who out here prefers to watch these films with subtitles any purists out there who doesn't really care either way correct answer whatever floats your boat really but this that means film... you can get one of these badges <laughs> but this this dub I think is great so Flanagan is Ewan Bremner who we know as <clears throat> spurred from train spotting etc but we have Ruby Barnhill who has only really two credits to her name she was in the BFG and it's a very sort of Everyone has northern accents for some reason in this Yeah, film. you said to me on the way up to the stage that you feel right at home just hearing this film. Well, because Ruby Barnhill is from, she's from Knutsford, you know, only really 10, 15 minutes down the motorway from where I grew up, so it feels very familiar. But then, you know, it's, it's a really good dub, and because it fits so well, because this feels like it's much more in an English-language fantasy tradition, yeah, well, this feels the most closely British mm-hmm, compared mm-hmm. to the other films that we've spoken about. Even though Howl's Moving Castle has that Welsh origin, it's still got that pan-European feeling. And same with Arietti being the borrowers. It, usually Miyazaki would take the kernel of these novels that he's being inspired by and then filter that through with his, you know, his global worldview, mm. but also with his Japanese sensibilities. This feels... After when Marnie was there, where I really felt Yonebayashi's worldview and his affinity for his characters, I, I lose that a little bit here. Yeah, um, and you briefly mentioned the skies. And mm. I, I, for some minor thing, I go on about these skies in these films a lot. We, we have in uh, Kiki's Delivery Service this lo- the lush green, the blue sky. It's, it's beautiful, it's simple. And then Yonabayashi and Marnie was there. He's got these pearlescent purples, greys, 
you're reflecting the kind of muddled nature of the character's mind in the skies of the mm. film. And I thought that's, that's really interesting. That's really experimental. And he's really shaking up what Ghibli could do. And then goes off and starts his own studio and almost tracks back a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Marnie is such an odd film. Yep. And it feel like we could do a whole other episode on that film again because yep. of how much there is to get into. And this is a lot simpler. And maybe that comes from... We're setting up our own studio. We need to be safe. We need yeah. to make the Force Awakens of Ghibli films. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And what's really fascinating about Studio Pornic, it's a little bit inside baseball, but they are much more open to the world than Studio Ghibli are. They, you know, notoriously Studio Ghibli don't like giving their films away to iTunes and Amazon for streaming and downloads, but Ponok are happy to do that. They have, a, they have a Twitter account, they're very active, whereas Ghibli like to stand back and be a bit more mysterious. They're just a different studio. Mm. Maybe this was just them finding their feet and they'll experiment further down the line. But where does this film land for you? I actually, ultimately, I really liked it, uh-huh. but... I'm quite cynical about the fact that I did like it because I'm liking it for reasons that I've seen in other films already. I don't, like, there's not much of new stuff here that right. is particularly exciting and thrilling for me. It's more coming at it because it's so familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I kind of toss and turn it because I, I really enjoyed it all the way through, but I don't know if it has as much rewatch value or as freshness as A Kiki's Livery Service or a My Neighbor Totoro, which I think are just really focused, like immediately perfect films. Uh uh Uh, And this kind of does sag at times. Right. There is a lot of back and forth, geographically speaking. Like we're in Endor, we're back on the ground. Mm -hmm. We're back to Endor, we're back on the ground. And I did kind of lose track of the rules of the world, of how the magic works, because she can, like, if she eats one of the flowers or spreads it on the broom, she has magic for a day, Uh but then the magic is broken, but then she can still fly. And I kind of lost it by the end. Asking so many questions, Jake. Yeah, exactly. This is where I got to, like, it was my issue with Princess Mononoke as well. uh, When I'm in the back half of the film... And I'm asking too many questions about how and why things are happening. Whereas uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Akiti's Delivery Service, Porco Rosso, they know what they're about. They're really trim. But importantly, did you like the blue goopy monster at the end? The blue goopy monster is amazing. With Uh, the little little emoji face. Yes, it's got a little silly face and it's like a blue version of Ditto, the Pokemon. Uh, And I really, really enjoyed it. Great. Uh, And another bit of character design that I don't think we would have seen from one of the other directors at Ghibli. I I think they missed a trick not making him into a stress ball or something. That would be so good. And you mentioned Pokemon. That's only one of the few video game potential inspirations and influences I saw here. The design of Dr. D comes across to me like he's inspired by Dr. Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog. Well, and I thought of Nitro from the Crash Crash Bandicoot Bandicoot. games. But specifically what they're doing to the animals, turning animals into monsters and the idea being the hero, freeing them from that 
that curse, or in, in Sonic the Hedgehog's case, they're being turned into robotic monsters. Yeah. But the idea that then it's a parade of animals that come through that have been saved by the hero at the end of the stage or the level of the story. Yeah, and quite interesting. Again, uh, I'm brief. Just mentioned Princess Mononoke. Here, you've got this kind of omniscient, all-knowing deer-like creature that oh, yeah. leads the animals, and we've got nature winning against. Uh, industry thwarting the magic of nature, mm -hmm. uh, like which thematically is something that we've gone over and over, and we will go over again, I'm sure. And even the villains in this film, so uh, Madame Mumblechuk and, and Doctor D, are—they you know, try to do that Miyazaki thing of they're villains until they're not, and you just realise they're complicated humans mm. with maybe misdirected ambitions. Yeah, and I don't think he pulls it off as well as mm. um, someone like Yubaba in Spirited Away. Um, mm. I think it's more like uh, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, how like that film kind of loses itself and its definitions of good and bad and tries to set something up that lives in the grey areas between the two but ends up just being a bit muddled. Yeah. Well, speaking about good and bad, usually we we have a recurring segment on these on, on these episodes, which we call Jacob's Ladder and the Leaderboard, which is where we rank the Ghibli films as we go along, adding one each episode. Why don't we see whether this where this would land for us if it yeah. were a Ghibli film? Um, so I had a look at my ladder before I came in. Um, got my boy Porco Rosso sitting pretty at the top, yeah. um, and. I think I would slot this in I th around Howl's Moving Castle, which for me is fairly low, um, like kind of about 13th out of 18, I think, for me. Um, but I, it's strange because I really like the film, but it's just let down by the fact that it's not that original. Mm -hmm. What about you? It's hard for me to place this within a Gib the Ghibli canon in, within that list, but what I would say is I think this, is, this would be back to the level of Arietti for Yonabayashi. It's a technically proficient, quite beautiful, but rather generic and bland film. Yeah, I'm kind of amenaring it amongst his work because mm -hmm. I think Marnie is a fascinating film that really takes big swings, huge misses as well. But I admire that film more than this film. But I think this is more coherent. Uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one. It's a really interesting film. Well, it, it's a tough one, but ha you know, handily we have a lot of people out there in front of us. Can you raise your hand? Who thinks this is a great film? Ooh, one. <laughs> Who thinks this is a good film? Who's not a fan of this film? Okay. Ooh. Okay. Maybe stick around afterwards. We'd love to have a chat with you about yeah, what you think about this film. We'll come down and uh, talk to you guys. We'd love to hear some thoughts on all of these films and what your, what your leaderboards and ladders would be. But I think that, yeah, this seems to be quite a mid-table, mid-range film for people out there in general. But Jake, this has been a great chat about, about this. Yeah, and I'm excited to hear what they do next. They've got Modest Heroes so coming out. Modest Heroes has been out in Japan, has been out in the States. I think it's finally coming our way. I hear rumblings of that it has an, an international distribution deal. This is So they, they played it safe with this film, and their next, their next film project was a portmanteau anthology film of three shorts that is actually less than an hour long. So actually... Not, no one's going to buy that and show it in the cinema. 
Um, but I hear it's really good. I think it, it, it screened up in Edinburgh at the film festival there just recently, and maybe it'll come out. But Yona Bayashi directed one, and then they have other Ghibli veterans directing the other two. And it'd be fascinating to see that. I'd love to see more from them. Well, when we can do our entirely Studio Ponoc spin-off podcast, maybe we'll get to that one as well. Ponocology. Ponocology. Love it. <laughs> but until then, we hope you've enjoyed your time listening to the Ghibliotech and joining us here in the Dusty Stacks. Um, we are currently on hiatus, but we are doing this summer season. We've been here at Latitude. We're going to go to Green Man uh, next month, and we're doing... Q&As at the British Museum in collaboration with their manga exhibition with some really good panellists talking, yeah. going deep into these films. And if, if you haven't been yet, do get down to the British Museum for the manga exhibition. It's their highest selling exhibition ever and it's the biggest manga exhibition to ever come out of Japan. Mm. Uh, so do get along to that if you can. Yeah. But until you hear from us again, you can follow Jake on Twitter, yep. Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Thank you for listening and joining us at Latitude. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng. Our artwork is by Sophie Moe and Lister Russell makes us sound good. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. That's me. So thank you for sticking around through the credits. We always like to give a little treat by way of some trivia at the end. Something that we didn't mention on the episode for The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. So remember there was that shelved project that Isao Takahata wanted to develop, which was an adaptation of The Tale of the Heike, his yes. samurai epic. Well, Yoshiaki Nishimura, when he was on the promotional tour for the most recent Studio Ponoc release, Modest Heroes, revealed that originally there was supposed to be a fourth film in that shorts program, and that was to be The Tale of the Heike, directed by Isao Takahata. Takahata at Ponok. So Takahata jumping ship from Ghibli, joining his young, his young friends at Ponok to make this short film that no one at Ghibli would make with him. Unfortunately and very sadly, Takahata died before they could get that project off the ground, but for now, we can but dream about what a non-Ghibli late-period Takahata film could have been. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.